Welcome to Smith Memorial Online. We're glad you joined us today. We're located in Collinsville, Virginia. At Smith Memorial, our motto is simple, follow Jesus. We'd like to encourage you to check us out online, www.smithmemorialumc.com. There you can find out more information about us, opportunities to serve, and ways to support this ministry through giving. We pray that God would add blessing this day to the hearing and the doing of God's Word. Bless, O Lord, this time of giving and receiving of your word. May it be for us a time of reflection, a time in which we share in your joy, and time in which we share in the generosity of your word made flesh for us this day. Illumine our our minds and our spirits so that we might be one with you. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our reading today comes from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Hear these words of Paul. There is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not debtors. We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. You put to death the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, in fact, we suffer with him so that we also may be glorified with him. Friends, these are the words of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Come, O triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Speak words of life into these bodies of ours. May we put to death the works of the flesh, the mind of the flesh, and be transformed by the renewing of your spirit. We ask, O God, that you would place the cross before me, that none would see me but you and your grace alone. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So that's it. We have done our due diligence. Last week, we satisfied the checklist on our calendar. We wore our bright clothes. We amazed ourselves at the bright balloons. And now, now it's time to tuck the spirit away. Our Pentecost is over. It has come and it has gone. Now, of course, we know that this isn't 100% true, yet this seems to be our reality. We celebrate the gift of God's unending and abiding presence and then neatly tuck it away similar to other holiday ornaments like Halloween costumes and artificial Christmas trees only to be pulled out when necessary for observation. We live our lives in the spirit as if it was just but a day. But friends, as is the case with every holiday, particularly those holidays that grant us gifts, we remind ourselves that the best kind of gifts we've been re-gift during our white, at least the, the gifts that we don't tuck away or we give and re-gift during our white elephant Christmas time, we remind ourselves that the best gifts in life are those that hold an everyday value. 
They're the ones that hold an everyday purpose. They are the ones that bring us delight and somehow make our lives more complete. You see, Pentecost Sunday is that day for us. Pentecost Sunday is the penultimate of all the gifts. We celebrate Christmas, and we remind ourselves, whereas Christ in the flesh was a superb gift, the gift of the Spirit grants us the possibility of even more Jesus, not less, each and every day. And friends, Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. Namely, Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving in ways that allow us to no longer live lives covered by sin and death. Jesus is the gift that allows us no longer to have to feel tethered to the demands of the law. Jesus is the gift that gives life. And you see, Paul understood this when Paul wrote uh, to his church in Rome. When Paul writes this message to the Roman church, the church is deeply divided. There was a time within the church when these Jewish Christians, these Christians that made up the majority of the church in Rome, Jewish Christian meaning that they observed the law as well as Christ, they were banned from Rome. They were no longer allowed to be present. They were forced out, driven out. And when they left, a void opened, and that void was filled by a new set of Christians, Gentile Christians, meaning those who did not hold a traditional set of beliefs in God prior to the law. So when Paul is writing to this church in Rome, some things have happened. This early church that was once Jewish Christians is now Gentile Christians, and these Jewish Christians have made their way back into town. And when they got back into town, they realized that living together within the walls of the church was now very complicated because everyone had their own set of beliefs. You had on one side the Jewish Christians that said, no, we are to both be observers of the law and to that of Christ. And then you had the others that said, no, 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 you're missing all the point. It's not about observing the law, it's about observing Christ and what Christ has done. And the church became extremely complicated. We've never had anything like that, have we? People that vie in two separate points of view, trying to figure out how we get along. That never happens, right? I mean, you had people on one side, very, very poignant people, people that cared deeply for the mission of the They wanted to know on both sides, how do we live together with those that are not like us? And it was in the midst of that tension that we continue to celebrate the gift of the Spirit. We remind ourselves that Pentecost 
is not just a day, but the Pentecost, the giving of the Spirit, the giving of the fullness of God, is a continued event. We remind ourselves that Pentecost isn't over. It's not just but one day. It's a daily working of God, God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and the life of the church and her believers. And it's through this ongoing gift of God that Paul is able to proclaim. That Paul is able to say to a divided church, a church that cannot find a way forward, a church that can't seem to get along, a church struggling to live a life holding both law and the gospel together. It's in the midst of that kind of tension that Paul declares the most daring message of the New Testament. I don't know if the hair on your arms stood up when I read it, but it should have. The beginning of chapter 8, Paul says these words. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What? We live our lives based on who's being condemned. Who has the right narrative? Who has the right story? And yet here comes Paul talking to a divided church and he says to those on his right and to those on his left, for those who are in Christ, listen, there is no condemnation. And 2,000 years later, we still can't figure that out. You see, I think the struggle that we have with the message of no condemnation is because we really don't understand Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross. We can't deal with the message of no condemnation because we still fail to see Christ's ongoing workings in our lives. We fail to see the message of no condemnation because we are people who like to be self-sufficient and to do things for ourselves. But Paul doesn't mince his words here. For those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Now he only uses condemnation one other time in this section of this passage. And friends, it was not to condemn us, but it was to condemn sin and death in the person of Jesus. Now what I want to do is I want to read this passage for you again, but I'm going to read it from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Because I think he gra- uh, really holds on to the full gravity of what exactly it is that Jesus did on the cross. And as I read this, I want you to ask the question, well, where do I come into play in this message? What do I have to do? What prayer do I have to pray? What do I need to do according to find myself within no condemnation? 
Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of this chapter, says these words. He says, with the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, the fateful dilemma is now resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. He's saying, for those who find themselves in Christ's being for us, no longer have to struggle with knowing, am I doing the right things? Why? Because a new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. Listen, God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition condition entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it was by a fractured human nature, used to have done that for you. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now, what the law code has asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Where did we come in on that? He, he continues to go on. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's actions in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. So what does Christ do in all of this? He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become his righteousness. Therefore, for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. But we can't, we can't deal with that. Our whole life, as much as we say, all of us in this room would raise our hands and we would say, can, can, can what you do save you? Can works save you? N nobody would raise their hand. We don't believe in works righteousness, yet that's exactly what we do our entire Christian lives. We try to figure out what is our moral compass, what is our moral standard, what are we doing, are we doing enough so that God might save us and we might not be condemned without realizing Paul has already said it. For those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation and it has nothing to do with what you did, it has everything to do with what Christ has done. He became sin who knew no sin so that you might become his righteousness. Eugene Peterson in verse 12 says this. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent. There is nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing for you to do is give it a decent burial 
What if we did that as a church and we, we put a coffin up here and we said today all of our works righteousness is going to be buried with Christ so that we might inhabit a spirit of gratitude. Because there is no spirit of gratitude when we think we did something to deserve it. Maybe we need to have a coffin in the front of the church and say, listen, God gave us the lust deserved it. And that's the whole point. You see, God gave us the law, but no one could keep it. If that was the case, we wouldn't need a savior. We would just need to become better people. Just become better people. Just try harder. And one day, if you live long enough, you might get it all right. And if you get it all right, then you're good to go. We don't need a savior if our salvation, our non-condemnation is built up in our moral certitude. We need a savior because all of us are messed up people. And yet what we do is we sit on one side and we sit on the other and we say, they're not doing it right. No, no, they're not doing it right. No, they're not doing it right. And Christ is standing in the middle going, there is no condemnation. Because you covered in your sin. This is what you do. But I stand in the middle of you and I say to you once again, I became sin who knew no sin so that you might become my righteousness. So what do we do with such a message? If our salvation is intricately tied up into what Christ has done and what Christ has done alone, that Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves, if we truly believe what Paul says in Romans, that Christ died for us, not while we were perfect people that were performing the law great, but Christ died for us while we were yet still sinners, proving God's love towards us, then what do we do? Well, we become grateful. Perhaps we would attend church more often because we would realize, man, this week I really blew it. But guess what? In Christ, for those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. And it's not because I did something, because I deserve the fullness of condemnation. But I come to church because this is the place where I go, thank you. Thank you. I couldn't do it by myself, God, so thank you. I deserve the fullness of the wages of sin and death. Sin. You did not condemn me, you condemned them. You condemned sin and death. So that we might have life and peace in you. You see, when Paul talks about those who live in the flesh and those that live by the Spirit, he's not talking about those that live in their bodies. The the, the way to, to think about it is like those who have the mindset of the flesh versus those that have the mindset of the Spirit. Those that live their lives thinking we need to do more. We need to become more. Paul's saying, if if you think that, then you'll never achieve it. If you think that you're not sufficient in who you are and that God doesn't see you as sufficient in who you are, then you'll never be good enough. And you'll constantly find yourself striving towards death because all you'll see is the agony of your own sin. But if we live as those who are covered in the life of the Spirit, we would realize, wow, I have a lot to be grateful for. 
And then Paul ends his message in chapter 8. We're saying these things. So what should we do then? What should we do? We should inhabit the resurrected life. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirit, confirms who we really are. We know who he is. We know who we are, father and children. And we know that we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance but we do that so this is what we do we go through exactly what Christ goes through and if we go through the hard times with him we are certainly going to go through the good times with him as well so what does a true faith in Christ that is not dependent upon our works look like It looks like meeting those who are in suffering as Christ has met us. It looks like meeting those who are in pain and agony as Christ has met us and offering them a sense of light, a sense of life, a sense of knowing that, hey, you're just like me. Not perfect. Life screwed up, and yet he became sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become his righteousness. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.